You're listening to the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp Podcast for people passionate about making a positive change. We believe understanding your audience is the key to maximum impact, and behavioral science takes this to a whole new level. Join your host, Ruth Dale, and expert guests to explore biases, beliefs, why we do what we do, and why we don't do what we said we would do. Hello, boot campers, and welcome to another episode of Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp. I am delighted to say I have here with us today the founding member of Behavior Change Bootcamp Marketing Training, Claire Holm. She attended the bootcamp back in February, and today she's going to kickstart us off on a brand new series called Behavior Change Biases 101. So we are stealing from the room 101, essentially to explore in a new, fresh way our biases and how, as humans, we are complex but highly irrational beings and how we, as communications and marketing professionals, can take this understanding of these biases and apply it in our work to ultimately increase our impact. So Claire is Head of Communications and Customer Service at North Devon Council. But I will hand over to her now to just introduce herself. She has a fantastic history of radio and PR. So Claire, I'll hand to you now. Just say hello and tell us a little bit about your background. Hi, everyone. Yes, so I currently manage customer services and communications at North Devon Council, which is fantastic. It's fantastic to have the two services working together and dovetailing and making sure that um, we only have one voice for the customer, which is it's really, really effective. Before that, I was just in charge of comms and started off 20 years ago at North Devon Council as a single officer, managed to sell the benefit of comms to the organisation and and gradually um, more and more investment was put into the team, which is great. Previous to this position, I worked as a press officer at Dorset Police, which was absolutely fantastic and great fun. And my actual professional qualifications are in broadcast journalism. And I did 18 months in local radio prior to my job in in the police. So I worked in commercial radio, Pirate FM in Cornwall and a couple of stations in Dorset, Wessex FM and Vale FM, where I was the reporter for for that area. Thank you, Claire. So fantastic breadth of knowledge there. And it's just so brilliant that you've managed to show how valuable comms is and grown it in the council. And that's music to all our ears, I know. Um, So today to kickstart the series, we will be looking at the bias called loss aversion. The reason we picked this one is, well, one, because Claire knows all about it and We discussed it together. She's pulling faces now. (laughs) We discussed which one to do and we chose loss aversion, but really because it's such a nice, easy and simple one to understand and to get our heads around. Because if we are deep down honest with ourselves, we have all felt this or seen this. This bias was first officially found in behavioral economics by the godfather of economics, Daniel Kahneman. And it was in a study in 1979 on subjective probability. But it's most widely published in the book Thinking Fast and Slow. And also you will read all about it in any following books, Nudge and Dan Ariely's Predicting Irrationality. So 
any book you pick up, really, any article, it's everywhere. Loss aversion is generally considered to be one of the most accepted scientific biases that humans have. And if we remember, we have these biases because we have what we understand to be a system one and a system two brain. And our system one, or aka our Homer brain, is very, very busy and needs biases in order to be able to process the serious millions and millions and millions amounts of data that it processes every day. So to describe loss aversion, imagine you're watching two children on a mat and they're playing so happily. There's lots of toys around them, far too many toys. And there's a little toy that's owned by one of the children that they're not using. It's out on the periphery. And another child enters the room and thinks, oh, I'll play with that toy. Watch the other child's reaction to one other child taking what they consider to be their toy. It's painful. If you've ever been to a toddler group, you could have been that parent that's simply going, oh no, that is my child. As you turn into this most painful suffering experience at the thought of a loss, and it does not matter that you are surrounded by lots of things. It's not dependent on whether the reality is that you don't have anything. So the loss aversion is the simple fact that as humans, we don't like to give anything away. We don't like the feeling of loss. And that feeling is at least double the amount of pain and suffering that a gain is. So the idea is if you want someone to give you something, the gain has to be at least two or two and a half times the weight of the loss for that person. And of course, that's a very subjective experience. So one of the most popular and famous ways of explaining loss aversion is the flip the coin or toss the coin question. You can do this at home or with friends and family. But if I say to you, Claire, will you take this bet? So Claire, if I say to you, if the coin lands on heads, I will give you 150 pounds. But if it lands on tails, you have to give me 100 pounds. Would you take this bet? No, I wouldn't. I don't want to give you a hundred pounds. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. So obviously there will be some people who say yes and some people say no, but the science says that the majority of people will say, no, I don't want to lose my hundred pounds. My fear of losing that hundred pounds is greater than the reward of the 50 pounds. So moving on then from kind of the science background, Claire, we looked at a little bit about this in Behaviour Change Bootcamp and you've had a chance to think about how you can apply it back at the office or, you know, kitchen table, wherever that might be. How did you feel about loss aversion and how, when you first heard it, what did you think about it? Well, initially I thought, how can we apply this in local government? Because there's no commercial element to what we do, although we are becoming increasingly commercial. And I always remember about 20 years ago, when I first started at the council, we rolled out wheelie bins and it was like dishing out alien beings <clears throat> to our residents. And we had a very experienced consultant in who had delivered wheelie bins in Manchester. And he said, believe me, in six months time, if you try and take those wheelie bins away, they will fight you for it. So that was kind of my first introduction to it in that once you give somebody something and it's theirs you cannot take it away. Or if you do, then they're going to react much, much worse than when we gave them the wheelie bins in the first place. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. But there's not many tangible things that we give 
to residents. So I've been thinking, because I've got the benefit of working in customer services as well as communications, I get to really hear people's reactions to service loss, for example. So they think, the public think they own their local authority because of direct taxation, because we are directly taking money from them and then they have certain expectations of what they should be getting for that money. So if they missed, have a bin missed, for example, their sense of loss is so over the top compared to the reality of the situation. But it's because they pay us their hard-earned money, they expect a service, and their sense of injustice and loss when they don't get their bin collected, even though it probably only cost them 75p, is immense. And the, this, this sort of look into loss aversion has really helped me understand why people overreact so much to having their bin missed or an officer not getting back to them in the time that they've said they're going to get back to them because they pay our wages, don't you know? Yeah, I really kind of understand now why people, why our residents and customers feel so grieved when we don't give them the service that they expect. And it's brilliant, isn't it? Who knew the age-old quandary around why the bins? How can bins evoke so much emotion from everyone? I remember here when my local council, they changed the bin collection weeks. So it went from kind of every week to two weeks and then every three weeks. And, you know, they were trying to get us to recycle more and do the big waste less and all these things. And the outcry, you know, all on the Facebook groups, all on the community groups, you know, because the feeling you was that we were having something that was ours, as you say, being taken away. But it's bins. There's a real practical need for bins and it does affect your home and, you know, your environment and your cleanliness and hygiene. But, oh my goodness, it's a bit like the whole dog poo thing with councils. If you open up the bin conversation, you will get that inner child from everyone. And the loss aversion bias is that actually it's all of us. It's in all of us. We're very irrational, complex creatures. And we can learn to manage loss aversion, but also it's fantastic that we can perhaps, with as the awareness as comms leads, actually not provoke it either and understand, not expect people to suddenly not do this thing that they are inherently, you know, born to do and actually use it in our messaging in our favor to get much more positive, desirable results. So looking about how we could do that. You had some fantastic ideas about practical ways throughout the service. Do you want to share a little bit about those? Yeah. So moving on from bins, really, because that was my observation in terms of the, you know, how I have experienced loss aversion and people's reactions to it. But moving on to kind of my day-to-day work now is a lot about business transformation and channel shift. We have invested a lot of time, money and resource into lots of digital services so that people can access us 24-7. And one of the benefits of going online is that we spend less time on the phones to customers and and less time face-to-face because those are expensive transactions compared to online transactions. So we really, really do want to reduce the amount of transactions on the telephone. The trouble is 
digital transactions are going up, but we're still getting a lot of phone calls and a lot of unnecessary phone calls. So I've been having a think about how we can incentivize some of those top transactions online to get them off the phones, because what we want to do is get rid of the straightforward, easy transactions from the phone so that the advisors actually spend time with those kind of higher value conversations with vulnerable customers who really need help and support who are actually having to wait in long queues on the phones um, sometimes because we're in green bin permit renewal season, for example. So I've been thinking about maybe how we could incentivize going online using loss aversion by perhaps looking at giving a deadline for people to renew online and giving them a discount if they do that. So if they don't do it online, then they lose five quid or perhaps only allowing so many permits to be reduced, so maybe a thousand permits, first thousand people to apply online, which of course hopefully would push more than a thousand people online. Again, with the fear that they'll have to pay more if they if they don't do it. But hopefully in the with the understanding that they are taking a bit of a risk and probability is that they probably won't one in five people will get it. So they have got a chance of not actually getting that discount. And then things like parking tickets, paying them early online with an incentive, because actually, you know, having to deal with a parking ticket over the telephone does take quite a bit of time. And, you know, it's not a high value transaction for us in terms of helping the customer. And then things like maybe we sell compost bins. The more compost bins people have, the less green bins we have to pick up. So again, maybe incentivizing those so that we sell the first 50 at a reduced price. And then things like signing up to our email bulletins with special offers in them as well. So for us, our email bulletins that we send out is a is a big channel shift tool because it's all about pushing online. So um, you get the email bulletin and then, of course, we encourage the transaction then through the internet, which whatever content is in there is normally pushing people online. So, and we talked a bit about the intention, didn't we, at boot camp, and whether the intention behind your loss aversion techniques are deceiving people or doing it for a good reason. And I, you know, I think that this is a case where it's a really good reason because channel shift and going online really, really saves money for the council. And I think most people understand that we've had huge budget cuts. We've just set our budget for next year and it is still 2 million lower than in 2010. So with inflation, you can imagine 2010, our budget was 15 million. With inflation, that would now be probably up near 20 million. And yet we're setting a budget of 13 million. We can't do as much. We have to do more with less. So as far as the public goes, we need to try and manage this message of we're not taking away, we're not taking away from you. What we're doing is actually making ourselves more efficient so that we provide a better service to you because there's less of us than there was before. So it is, you know, the intention is good. Yeah, and that's a really important point, Claire. So firstly, thank you for those ideas. They're fantastic. Really tangible ways, you know, that you can use them in your conversations with residents. And yeah, we did discuss about the importance of not increasing anxiety at the moment. You know, we all have had that heart stopping out. Oh no, where's my purse slash wallet feeling? And using loss aversion is not about creating that by any means. 
it's really about just understanding that to nudge to action, you need to understand that, you know, people are just more tempted. It's more desirable to not lose something. So your messaging, like you were saying, can remain really valuable, really positive. But the actual call to action can, you know, be saying, here's your discount simply because if you did the same thing. So for example, if you offered a discount on your parking ticket and say, you know, pay your ticket online and save £30, which I have to admit for one council I've done a few times. So it does work. But if you did that exact same offer and had it, you know, instead of, you know, you, you actually gain, you are gaining your £30 back because you're paying early. It's the exact same message. It's just not as appealing and it doesn't push to action. And also just to say, as you were saying, it is really positive. People do like to know how they can be part of their community. And if a few simple changes in their everyday transactions means that the council can spend more time supporting vulnerable people, then that is something that people are interested and open to hearing. And then just with in combination with, you know, some incentivized messaging that also gives them the added bonus of not feeling like they're losing, then really, you know, it's a win-win. And I have do, you know, you have seen it adopted a lot across the country by a lot of councils because it is so successful. And the age-old concept of a discount has been around forever because it does work. And people don't feel there's no ethical sort of judgment over that discount. It's just when we just need to be careful in our messaging that we are not putting in anything that might invoke worry or concern. And unfortunately, we've all had horrible letters from people that are abusing our sense of fear. Oh, um, you hear the dog. And, yeah. you know, scam artists and fake news and people, they build all of their emails and WhatsApp messages and all of it around fear. But what we're saying is that we continue with our positive messaging, but understanding that loss aversion is something that we can use for positive gain. So I think also your idea about the compost bins, how timely and is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and your development around your emails and as a sort of messenger for these incentives, it really helps you build a long-term relationship with your residents. So you can actually build up much more of a conversation with them and let them know how much you are then supporting your more vulnerable residents. Because as we said, everyone really does care about that. And do you think that this concept of loss aversion is something that you would find quite easy to explain to your team? Do you think it's something that they would pick up? Because it's the application and making it real, which is sometimes the challenge after we've done the training. Yeah, I think I think everybody can relate, can't they, to that that feeling in your tummy of utter, I don't know how you describe it, it's kind of despair, isn't it, when you think you've lost something. And it's about applying that to you know, that kind of what I said about the wheelie bins, never thought about it like that before, because we don't, like I said, we don't have those tangible products so much. But me and my team, they are on the receiving end of my complaints team, obviously receive all the complaints about, oh, I'm not, you know, I've lost this amount of service, I want a refund on my council tax. 
Facebook, the comms team have to deal with lots of negative posts on Facebook and the customer service team obviously deal with it in the next. So getting them to understand the emotions behind that, I think would be quite simple and easy because particularly in customer services, a lot of them come to actually empathize with the customer in the end, even if it is just a missed bin, because they sense that emotion in people. And sometimes it, it, it's something that will really push somebody over the edge as well. You know, they're having a particularly hard time at home for one reason or another, and this is the final straw for them. So I think they would quickly be able to add the two together and understand the emotion behind it. I think what they struggle with is the abusive language that's used by some people because that's kind of almost taking it a step further, isn't it, than showing showing disappointment. Yes. Yes, definitely. But yeah, I think they would I think they would totally get it. And um my comms team in particular uh, they they love experimenting. You know, we we use testing in our uh, in our emails with um, different messaging to see which works best so they're i think they would quite enjoy perhaps sending out an email campaign with the gain message and maybe a campaign with the loss message and assessing the the stats around that i think they'd really enjoy doing something like that yeah oh claire that sounds like a fantastic idea and we'd love to know how get on let's prove the science Mm. and see if it really works and like you say that's a fantastic working environment where everyone can experiment and trial messaging because it is at the end of the day only when you test it that you know if it's impactful oh that's fantastic and also you mentioned you do something with Slimming World and you can kind of see how (laughs) Slimming World create their wonderful FOMO and fear of missing out (laughs) yeah absolutely so Slimming World is is something I do in my spare time. And despite what people may think about Slimming World, Weight Watchers, whatever you like, the, the, the training very much is around helping people. So this drive to get new members is very much about helping people because of the obesity problems and the health problems that come with it. So I just, that's my little sales pitch there. But they do a lot of, you know, special offers with time limited offers. So lots of magazine coupons and oh now my doorbell's going as well <laughs> the, the joys of homeworking oh, I know. <laughs> yeah so and they also do special offers where you can buy six weeks of membership and then you get a week free or you get 12 weeks to get two weeks free quite often they'll throw in a recipe book as well that you get for free so again, it's saying, well, if you don't do the six weeks, if you don't do the 12 weeks and you don't get the recipe book, you're going to miss out on £20. That's a saving of £20. How fantastic is that? So it's all about, yeah, that FOMO. You know, I don't want to miss out on this offer. I, I want, it's, it's £6 a week membership. Actually, you know, if I can save myself 20, 25 quid over the next 12 weeks, then that's, you know, that's fantastic. So yeah. And, and again, I still think the intention there is good because all of the training that we get is all about helping people to get healthier and and fitter and improve their mental health. So uh, my conscience is clear in terms of pushing those offers out and gaining new members because it is all about helping them in the long run. Yeah. And I agree with you there, Claire, because it's low entry support. 
you know, accessible service for people. And they use it because at the end of the day, they are a business. They do need to generate money and members and things in order to be able to offer the service. And that's okay as residents thinking of without, you know, comms hat off and just as a person, we interact with businesses every day from going to the post office, from, you know, buying something, going to the shops. So we understand that offers are coming. It's so much part of our culture now. And I think to a point where as long as you're not being tricked, as long as that you're not being misled or missold, I think when you do get one of the offers and you have sort of averted that fear of losing the extra £25 because you made it in whatever deadline or whatever it is, there is this feeling of grabbing a bargain, isn't there? And everyone loves grabbing a bargain. Everyone loves that, yay, I got it, or the recipe book and things. So it is about building a positive, meaningful relationship with your customer or your resident. Because if you don't do that, then, you know, that's just the road to nowhere, isn't it? And I think so. There is so much unethical marketing out there. But I don't think really that, you know, I don't think that anyone would purposefully create anxiety or worry by any marketing. And that's probably why testing, like you say, testing messaging is, is mm. essential, very important part of it. But I do think we are talking to very commercially minded culture, whether we like it or not. And I do think it's okay as long as it comes along with that whole messaging around supporting the vulnerable and everything. So, yeah, marketing ethics is such a hot topic, as always, because of the rise in misinformation around COVID and vaccines and everything. So, Claire, is the loss aversion bias, is it in boot camp room 101? Is it in or is it out? It's definitely, hang on a minute, is in keeping it and out? I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, in is keeping it. We've got an imaginary draw pull open. In means we like it, we love it. We don't feel like it's, it's not a baddie, it's not a little gremlin sneaking in there to confuse everyone. So yeah, it's definitely in. I think before I did um, your boot camp, it would have been out because I do associate it with negative marketing and scam marketing. But now I can see how it can be used in a positive way to help us improve our service to the customer. So I'm definitely keeping it. Oh, thank you, Claire, for saying that as well. That's really kind. So we like to always finish the episode on a question that asks Claire, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? So the past couple of days, I've had to pull together what my comms team have achieved throughout the COVID epidemic. And they have, it's really, really inspired me. I'm feeling really elated at the moment, looking at all their creativity, everything they've put into it, the hours they've put into it, the thought they've put into it. They've like everybody across public sector, everybody has had to do so much more than usual to support our communities. But the way that they've made business support information available, the community support available, the innovative ways they have put that messaging out to keep people safe is really, yeah, they have inspired me. And I don't think I could do their job now because I'm very old school PR. And to see them coming up with all of this fabulous content and creativity is has really, really inspired me. That's fantastic, Claire. Shall we give them a shout out? What's their names? Who's your team? Yeah, so I've got Amy 
I've got Faye, I've got Holly, and I've got Sophie. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, how wonderful. What a wonderful working environment you've got there. Thank you so much for coming on um, Behaviour Change Marketing Bootcamp, Claire. I hope you enjoyed the session. And thank you for kickstarting off our Biases Room 101 takeover. Have a great week and we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, show us some love and leave a review on iTunes. We'll leave you with Ruth's favorite quote from Alice in Wonderland. I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. Got a favorite quote about the magic of change? Tell us over at the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp group on LinkedIn. Join us for a Mad Hatter's Tea Party, virtually. 